hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of What's Next. I am your host, Tiffany Bova, and I have the wonderful honor and pleasure to welcome, for the first time, David Rogers to the show. He is an expert on digital transformation, a member of the faculty at Columbia Business School, as the Director of Executive Education Programs on Digital Business Strategy and on Leading Digital Transformation. He has taught over 25,000 executives through his programs in New York City, Silicon Valley, and online. He is also the author of five books, but he has one upcoming in September 2023 called The Digital Transformation Roadmap, which follows his landmark bestseller, The Digital Transformation Playbook, which I think has been translated in 12 or 13 languages, made its way around the world, something like that. Super excited to have you on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tiffany. It's a real pleasure to join. Yes, Romanian was our latest uh, language. I think that puts us at 13 and hopefully we'll get a couple more out of it. Yeah, you know, I, I, mine, I think is 11 um, on my first book and you get these crazy translations and I love getting a copy, like getting a copy takes a minute, but then when you get it and you look at it and you're like, some of the covers are really creative. It's like, wow, we should have done that, you know, years ago in the original cover. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Well, anyway, before we jump into the conversation, uh, I have to start it off with something I call bullish and bearish. All right. Let's do it. for it. Bearish is you're against it. Nothing too painful, I hope. Are you ready? I am open-minded and ready to go. All right. The first one. Yeah. Holding a strategy session in space. Bullish or bearish? Bearish. All right. Because you got to get there. (laughs) What's the point? That's like, (laughs) I don't know, innovation theater, Steve Blank would call it. I mean, that's just like doing something for the sake of doing something. I'm always about doing things as cheaply uh, and focused as possible. So, yeah. I love innovation theater. Way, way to pull in a little Steve yeah. Blank, which I've interviewed here on, uh, on What's I Next. Know, All right. I know. All right. People. The next one, virtual yeah. reality classrooms, education sort of classroom using VR. Uh, sure. Done right. I mean, I'm not saying I've seen it, but I think there's there's an opportunity there. You just got to start with a customer problem you're solving. You know, what, how are you going to improve the classroom experience, the remote classroom experience from where it is currently? And I think AR, VR, that the new Apple Vision Pro, there's definitely absolutely worth experimenting and seeing if you can create some real value. All right. And the last one, considering the topic today is digital yeah. transformation, I, mm-hmm. Me asking you to keep that lens on is sort of, uh, you know, obvious, okay. yeah. but working from home, bullish or bearish? Working from anywhere, uh, a bullish. So I, I think, you know, one of my favorite things about this topic is that everyone is seeing it wrong right now. And there's this mindless kind of argument as if it's about top-down control right at the time that organizations need to be moving away from that as kind of a leadership paradigm. But ultimately, when you recognize that, particularly with the labor market we have, companies have no choice but to embrace, even if they won't recognize the benefit to themselves, they're going to have to embrace hybrid, so to speak. And this ham-handed, okay, negotiation, you want five days, I want five days, we're going to meet in the middle. That's kind of dumb. And we're going to get past that at some point. And companies are realizing that you have to figure out when does it make sense? When is there value added to be in person and when is there not? And some organizations really don't understand that yet. And when they finally get around to figuring that out, they're going to learn so much more about how to better 
run their teams and their work because it's a it's a question that has no universal answer and it's really important. Great answer, and I, I absolutely I I couldn't agree more. I think that brings me right to sort of the first question because I think this is where. Sometimes people will talk past each other in debates like this or conversations like this because they're not actually grounded in agreement on the assumptions, right? Right. So let's start with the definition of digital transformation for you and then we'll go from there. So what's your your sort of standard definition of digital transformation? Yeah. And this is really important because I I wrote a book a long time ago on digital transformation and took me all over the world talking to companies. And I quickly discovered everyone was kind of talking about this, but there was a lot of confusion about exactly what we meant. And my thinking has evolved, find a little bit over the years, but so I would offer this definition. It's the transformation of an established business so it can thrive in an era of constant digital change. So we are in a world where everything is changing incredibly fast. Digital technologies, advances, developments, uh, changes of many kinds are accelerating that change. They're not slowing down. That requires companies to be able to adapt in a radically different way. And they are just not, our established older businesses Some not so old, though. That's what I've learned from experience working with companies. I meet companies who are 10 years old. They're struggling with the same problems of 100-year-old legacy enterprises. Their fundamental tensions for established businesses adapting to this pace of change. And that's what digital transformation is all about. I'd love to get your feedback on how I sort of frame it. Yeah. And I like your definition. Don't get me wrong. That is not the reason I'm saying this back. But I try to really simplify it, like oversimplify it. To me, digital is technology and transformation is people. And if I can get, you know what I mean? Because then it's very quick, right? It's like two words, right? Technology and people. And it starts a conversation, I feel like, with executives that allows them Mm -hmm. to go, I can't just think about tech and I can't just think about people. Like I have to find a way to blend the two. Don't Mm -hmm. know if that works for you. I mean, I think it's a great way to start the conversation. I, I, I always, you know, put technology in like my back pocket. It's the, it's the topic I always try to get to last because it's the topic that I find most audiences want to start from first. So yep. kind of pushing against that unhelpful misperception. If I boil it down to two things, I say what I've learned is for organizations to do this right, you need two things. DX as an acronym for digital transformation. This is the formula. DX equals D, digital strategy and organizational transformation, orgx. So you need to be able to rethink your business to understand how digital technology is. It's not the technology. It's the fact and the way that it is driving new customer behaviors and customer needs, the way that it is enabling new business models, the way that it is lowering barriers to entry, and the way that it is bringing in new entrants and new competitors, right? That's what matters to a business. And that's why we have to kind of, if not throw out the old strategy playbook, you know, dramatically rewrite it. Uh, understand that we need to think about things like customer strategy and competition and, and data and uh, value proposition radically differently. That that was really the focus of my last book. Uh, yeah, was helping companies to rethink their strategy. Set aside all these kinds of assumptions that are baked in based on, hey, these are the products we've been selling. This is the industry we think we're in. This is the way we've kind of set up our org chart. Surely that must tell us what we need to do tomorrow, right? It's all backward looking. But the amazing thing was I discovered is as hard as that is to do, (laughs) talking with and meeting with and, and working alongside companies that 
dug into that work, I found that even if you're able to do that, what I learned was even if you're able to do that and come out with a clear vision of sort of, okay, where do we need to actually move this organization? Where, where's our emerging opportunity? Where are new threats? How do we need to shift our you know, competitive stance, our positioning, our products, our services and everything? To actually do that can be incredibly hard. And that's because the organization itself is getting in the way. And that's, that's the other side, the organizational transformation. So that's been really the focus of my work for the last really seven years since the last book came out. And that's gone into the, the new book, trying to understand how is it that organizations can get out of their own way and actually make change happen at scale and at speed. And so how would you define strategy in, in, you know, based on what you've just said? Mm. So strategy is something I've come to see very differently than I used to. One thing about strategy is I used to sort of come at it with this idea that it was top down, right? Uh, you know, people at the top figure out these really big, important questions about the whole organization, kind of where they're going. Uh, what are your you know, unique advantages? What's your competitive differentiation and so forth? I mean, those are all important questions to ask. But what I learned was that strategy is much more pervasive than that and much more basic. To take your point of how simple can the definition be? My definition of strategy is strategy is asking two questions. First question is, what are we trying to achieve? And the second question is, how do we think we might achieve that? Asking those two questions over and over and really engaging in like debating and discussing and working it out and coming to alignment and, uh, and, you know, and then moving forward on that and then learning and returning to the same questions. And the thing is for strategy to work, that conversation cannot just happen once a year on a strategy retreat. It cannot happen at the top level of the, you know, the, the S team or the senior executive team. This has to be done at every level of the organization on a continuous basis. That is the difference of organizations that are actually able to move uh, quickly is every function, you know, not just product development, but legal, HR, everybody, and every team at every level, if you're head of the business unit or you're the head of the marketing team for Southeast Asia, or you're the product development team for, you know, one of your apps, whatever you are, you need to be having that conversation that bringing that strategic lens to everything you do on an ongoing basis. And that's when things start to, to move because digital transformation can't just happen, cannot happen only from the top down. It, that just does not work. So you've got in the last book, these sort of underlying assumptions across five yep. domains, and you've rattled them off a couple of times, but I, I'd like to go one by one if you don't mind. I think the first one for you is customers. Right. How do we need to rethink our assumptions around customers, right? Yep. So in the old model, customers were you know, and the way customer strategy was defined in marketing, you know, before the turn of the century, certainly was, it's a mass market model. Customers are outside the company. You're trying to find a product or service that meets the needs of as many as possible, use economies of scale, you know, mass produce the, the offering, uh, mass media. It's all about unified. You know, I remember when I first arrived at Columbia Business School, the mantra of marketers was, uh, it was called integrated marketing communications. Always say the same thing to every single customer. At the, always, at every time, because otherwise you might confuse them. Right? Now, of course, marketing is the complete opposite. So we have all these kind of assumptions about, about customer strategy that we have to unlearn. And then uh, I, I talk about in that book about uh, competition and how we need to shift from a view of competition that's defined by industries, right? All our old models, Michael Porter, Five Forces, et cetera, they're all based on industry as a unit of analysis. And it's based inherently a zero-sum game. And there's sort of this clear distinction between you know, competitors and partners. All that's radically different now. 
right? The most successful companies are competing and partnering with the exact same peers at the same time. And competition and cooperation happens across industries that are extremely fluid. Data has to be radically rethought in terms of the strategic importance of it. Innovation has to be reimagined in terms of how do you manage the inherent risks of innovation. And value propositions are no longer defined by the industry that you're in or have been in historically. Uh, they're defined by the changing needs of your customer. And so you need to take an approach where you're constantly evolving and adapting your value proposition to sort of stay ahead of that curve of change rather than waiting till, you know, you've you've gone too far out from shore and the giant wave, you know, crashes over you and you suddenly find you're no longer relevant in the market. So that that was again, that's the that's the strategy playbook of of the, my last book, the digital transformation playbook. And it's all looking at, you know, lots of different companies and different industries and sort of showing how how and why they have had to really rethink those assumptions about kind of what business are you in. And so the new book, The Digital Transformation Roadmap, I'm going to guess gets more into the how of it, right? If the yes. what of it was the first one with case studies, I'm not saying it was just yeah. about the what, right? But this this is really the where the rubber meets the road, right? This is the how it happens. And, and in your definition of digital transformation, you sort of had the technology, but you had the operating model as well. And I'm going to guess the, the, the roadmap has more to do with the operating structure yeah, it really has to do with these fundamental organizational barriers. So, you know, it's been widely reported that the you know large majority, typically most surveys are 70% or higher of companies that are, and these are only companies that are attempting digital transformations, right, are, are reporting themselves that they are failing. They're not seeing the results they wanted. So we're seeing a lots of, you know, from the expensive visible flameouts like CNN Plus to legacy companies who are just, you know, wish the world was not changing and they're you know, uh, they're just can't get out of their own way. They're still just fiddling around the edges of their legacy business model, trying to, you know, find some cost savings in the corners. What I found when my research was trying to figure out why, because you hear a hundred reasons people say, oh, our employees don't want to change. Oh, our legal department won't allow us to do things. This is if you're in a regulated industry. Oh, our, you know, there's, uh, we can't move as fast as these startups. There's like a hundred reasons people give. But what I found was, if I looked across industries at the companies, the majority who are failing, who wanted to change and couldn't in meaningful ways, and the minority who are succeeding, who are long established businesses in many cases, have made a concerted effort. And the evidence is clear. They are generating new revenue. They are entering new markets. They are making significant shifts in their business model and their sources of you know, uh, financing and so forth. There's a big difference between those two groups. And what I found was there's five barriers uh, at the heart of all the struggles I see companies facing. Everybody thinks it's all unique. You know, it's all about my industry. It's all about our company. But guess what? Everybody has the same problems. Uh, the first one is that very often companies are struggling because there's no shared vision. People are saying, oh, we need to be digital first. We need to future-proof the company. There's all these kind of generic consulting buzzwords that fly around, but there's actually no clear idea that is unique and specific to that company, right? Rooted in what's actually going on with your market, your customers, your industry, your business, your product services, you know, where is your world going and what role are you going to play? in that future that you see rapidly coming at you, right? Why do you have a unique, you know, right to win to, to, to take that role? That has to be a shared vision that's unique to the organization and that everyone understands. And very often I see that lacking. A second barrier is no growth priorities. This is 
a very common lack of discipline. I see companies that either simply are shooting in all directions. There's always a million things you did. Look at digital technology, new things you could do in a business. There's always more ideas than you could possibly pursue. And so they don't have the discipline of saying, these are the few things that matter most right now and which we are going to focus on. And that means going to mean we're going to say no to a lot of other interesting ideas and, and, and possible avenues to, to go down. Many businesses don't even get that far. There, there is no growth agenda. All they're looking at is how do we drive cost cutting and, and efficiencies? I mean, that's important, right? That should be one of the things you're looking at, but I see lots of companies who just can't get past that. So that's that's kind of the second barrier. Jump in at any point if you've got a question or should I go on to the, to the rest? No, and, and I mean, I think that, you know, you, you almost could say this has been the five barriers always. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, it's not right? unique. I think the pressure is just is harder because of how everything is speeding up. But the third is is a no no sort of no habits of experimentation. I would say, and this is kind of new. You know, companies you know in the 20th century really succeeded in a very planning based model. That was how you managed at scale. Uh, it was a top down sort of a command and control approach to management that was developed you know, a mix of academia, the U.S. military, and then eventually large corporations. And in a relatively slower moving environment, that's important. That works. I mean, it has certain benefits. It allows for visibility and control and consistency. But the trade-off is absolutely unsustainable when the world's changing as fast because it gives up all flexibility and adaptation. Everyone's waiting, sending every major decision up the chain of command to the top. You know, it's like the Russian military in Ukraine right now. They can't do a single thing because everything has to be sent up to some bureaucrat back in Moscow before a decision is made. You see the same thing in large companies. And so we have to get out of these this, this uh, uh, habit of everything being done by planning, benchmarking, write me the business case. Let's think about it for a year before we decide to do anything. Uh, it's absolutely the wrong approach when dealing with a fast-moving and highly uncertain environment. It's the wrong way. It's thought to be a way of reducing risk, and it's actually increasing risk. So instead, of course, we have to learn processes of experimentation and how do you invert the whole whole management model where you have smaller bets made much more quickly, designed not to, you know, fulfill a vision of a detailed, you know, five-year plan to bring a product to market, but to validate critical questions about a new venture, a new business model as quickly as you can and figure out, should we take another step further? So that's a huge shift that a lot of companies are still not learning yet. Even those who, who are at a sort of a team level, right? They may be hiring in certain people, giving them the leeway to apply something like, you know, agile software development or product management. They often lack, this is the fourth barrier. There's no flexibility in governance. And so these teams are completely hamstrung by existing operating models and, and rules around resource allocation, around sponsorship, around decision rights, around you know uh, where people work and how they're evaluated. Uh, and so you can't really you can get these little pockets of experimentation and innovation, but nothing really scales to the matter, point where it really matters to the company in terms of the bottom line of a large established company. And then the last is, is sort of the classic, no growth in capabilities. Obviously, that's, you know, we see companies who are not making the, the hard long-term investments in growing their, their digital technology, right? The right kind of infrastructure, the right kind of data as an asset, as they talk about. But it's also about talent, right? That's a long-term investment you've got to be building and growing through a lot of different avenues, every stage of life, kind of talent life cycle. And then there's a culture, 
and culture has to change in so many of these organizations. So those are, I call them capabilities. Those are all kind of the long-term investments that have to support all, all the things before. So that's that's what I found is really what holds companies back. So that's been the focus of, of my work and, and the book is looking at, you know, laying out a roadmap for how do you, how do you solve each of these five? Because the great news is, you can. There are companies who are actually making this real deep change happen. So we can learn and there are tools out there that we can all use. And, you know, I would be remiss just based on the work I've been doing of late. And and I know this is woven in to a lot of what you just said. It's not possible yeah. without what I'm about to say, like, yeah. right? But what's interesting is I still don't hear it very often called out mm-hmm. that there's no What's way that? to do anything you've just said. Mm overcome those barriers, you know, nail those five domains of strategy without people, without the employees, without their willingness to go on this journey of change. Right. Absolutely. And that's why there's a reason there's a sequence here. So the first step is the shared vision, because if you do not have that right, you will not pull people along. No, I get it. No, no, no. I cannot. You've got to engage people. They have to see why they're doing it. No, Uh, I get it. Right. And they have to take ownership of that. And be inspired by it. But there's there's just, a theme when you actually read the book. It's not a single chapter, but every single chapter keeps coming back to one theme, and it's what I call the the bottom up organization, which is really about putting power in the hands of your people. And every single one of these steps only happens if you do that. And so that's why, as I said, every single chapter that's what it it, it concludes on looking at why this is all about putting power in the hands, empowering people at every level of the organization. Couldn't yeah, agree more. If you don't do that, it's not going to happen. Couldn't agree more, right? It is the first barrier. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like then if it's just, I heard these five barriers and you know, like I wrote them down, right? Those are great. Like I really like them. Then it, someone takes the five barriers and they don't know the subtlety. It's the subtlety. It's yeah. the nuance. It's the, it's, it's all that, that really holds companies back. And that's why I said the oversimplistic, which I also agree with your oversimplistic one as well, that it was technology and people because I wanted the people conversation to bubble to the top. Yeah. Strategy is not a PowerPoint presentation. A PowerPoint presentation does not fail or succeed with a digital transformation. Right. The PowerPoint doesn't show up at the 11th hour when the board is screaming at and the, and you can blame the PowerPoint. Like that's not how it works, right? Like the vision statement is not anything. If your people don't have the right, if you haven't created a reason to engage and inspire them and, and, and that they are aligned on what they're trying to achieve, an outcome that matters to them and matters to the business, and if you haven't then done the hard work of removing, I mean, what most leaders do is three things. They define where we're trying to go. They communicate that in a way that really connects with others and people see it in themselves and their own work. And then their main job is not making decisions. It's not managing other people. It's not keeping an eye on things. It's not reviewing the metrics. It's removing obstacles. Spend After you've done that, your whole job is getting out there so that the people who want to do actual work you make it easier for them to do it. Everybody thinks it's somehow about persuading and hypnotizing. How do I convince the people in my company you know, to do the things I want them to do? It's like, if you actually have a clear, compelling vision of what you're trying to do that, and, and that there's an outcome that matters, I guarantee no matter how nervous and scared the overall culture in your business has been historically, there's going to be some people who are going to say, oh, thank goodness, we're actually going to get some things done and want to get started. Guess what? Your job is to just 
remove the roadblocks, like get everything out of the way for them. They'll start doing it. Things will start to happen. Other people will say, oh, we can actually do things now. <laughs> you know, this can really make a difference. This, this, you know, thing you've been talking about, this, the strategy for the company, that's how the change happens. And how do you suggest that through something like this, right? There are big bets. I mean, billions of dollars have been spent over the last probably, you know, 15 years on yeah. these things called digital transformation projects. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think is the reason why that getting the right obstacles out of the way versus yeah. the obstacles, maybe the C-suite, right, thinks are the obstacles versus what are actually the obstacles? What, what do you think the, well, the best way to let, do that? Let, me, let me pick up on one word you just said, you know, billions of dollars spent on digital transformation projects. Right? Mm-hmm. So the three biggest misconceptions I see about digital transformation First one is people think it's about technology mm-hmm. when really it's about customers and the business. The second is people think it is something that's going to happen top down. It will never work if it's just mm-hmm. top down. It has to be engaging and driven by people at every level of the organization. And the third is that people think it's a project with an end date. And it absolutely is not. It is an ongoing process that is not going to ever sort of finish and wrap up. So it's not like the common question I hear from CEOs. Well, is this a two-year or three-year project? And like ballpark, what's the budget I should allocate? This is not some ring-fenced large project budget that should sit by itself. The best digital transformations are using, what they're doing is they're redirecting and changing the way resources are being spent in every budget of every part of the organization. So it, it's it's really the wrong conception of the whole uh, endeavor to sort of think of it as uh, this project that you're going to you know spend X dollars and then you're done. It's really changing the way the whole organization operates. And that's absolutely critical to, to understand. All fair and completely agree. It's kind of like, but it's multiple work streams, right? Happening continuously yeah. and simultaneously. So to me, that's a project with a big S. But, you know, what what do you think the barriers are? That, that are are separating getting people on board versus what the C-suite thinks, wants, needs to happen. Again, I, I would say they don't have a clear reason why they're changing, right? If you look at what makes an effective shared vision, you have to have a shared understanding of where things are going. I call it a future landscape. You have to have a defined right to win. You know, this is absolutely critical. Whether you're a startup or an established business, you you can't just pursue a strategy because it's a good strategy for uh, someone to pursue. It has to be one where you have a particular reason why you are uh, better suited to to pull it off than anyone else, right? So you have to really take a, a hard look and understand what are your true and unique advantages compared with others versus what's a lot of things that we pride ourselves on are really just sort of table stakes. Then you've got to motivate people. So the other two parts of that shared vision are, one, you need to have some vision of, if this works, what's the impact going to be on the world, on our customers, maybe on society, on our own employees, a positive vision. A lot of companies try this with a negative vision. They say, oh, you know, you need that burning platform. If we don't do something, Amazon's going to eat our lunch. That has never motivated a company to change. The term burning platform came from a company, a famous memo written by the CEO of Nokia, telling his all his employees they had to get in the gear and really change fast or they were going to lose out to Android and iPhone. 
well, how did that work out? Right? That burning platform memo didn't work. So you have to have a positive vision. Look, if we do this, what how is this going to be make something better, right? For the world, for our customers, something. And that's critical. Employees will not do the hard work of transformation if all you tell them is it's going to raise your share price, right? Increase your EBITDA, you know, make the shareholders happy. But guess what? You do need to make the shareholders happy. You do need to also bring on board the PL owners, every part of the organization. You need to bring on board the, you know, the CFO. So that's that's the last piece. You need to have what I call a business theory, which is not a classic business case with specific projections of what's going to happen at various points in time, but it is a causal theory of, look, if we do this, how is it going to capture value back, right? How are we going to recoup our investments in all this work? And that's going to be different for every business. The reason why and how and where it's actually going to, again, capture value for the firm, you need to have that theory going in. If you can do all those things, people will be motivated. I have seen every company that does all of those things, the people inside that company are ready to give it a try and really make change happen. And then you've got to get all these barriers out of the way, right? You need to give them focus, right? Otherwise, they'll shoot in too many directions. That's why the priorities, that's why you need, you know, get everybody involved in strategy, not just top down. Everybody has to be making that same uh, process of setting priorities themselves. You've got to teach them how if they don't already know. Everyone's got to learn how to, you know, really move forward with experimentation as, as your your path to, you know, new growth. You got to revamp your governance to have much more flexibility to not manage your well-established core business that you know incredibly well and your new venture you're trying out and has a million unknowns and hypotheses around it. You cannot manage them the same way, so you need to have different governance models. And then you again, you've got to invest in in the technology, in the talent of your people, and in the culture of your people. And those are long haul investments. Those are the differences between the companies who are doing this and that are not. That was a great way to wrap this up because I think you know, David. It's I said many many years ago. The one thing about growth is it's never one thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And you can borrow it yeah. and say the one thing about digital transformation is it's never one thing. Like, yeah. you know, please, yeah. by all means, you know, because <laughs> it, it isn't one thing. People look for one thing. They look for an easy way out. They look yeah. for a quick fix. To your point, it's ongoing. It never ends. It shouldn't be ring fenced. You know, all of those things are are absolutely true. That's a lot of change, you know, for organizations to absorb. And and so that's why, you know, I, I think this was fantastic to just really break it down into sections and digestible yeah. things. So for those of you listening, well, you know, you. please uh, go pick up and pre-order a copy of the Digital Transformation Roadmap by David Rogers. And how else can people keep in touch with you, Dave? They can also get a free sample chapter if you sign up for my newsletter, which is all over my website, davidrogers.digital. So not .com, the usual domain, but davidrogers.digital. If you go there and sign up for my newsletter, that's A, the best way to keep in touch with me. And as I said, you'll get some free downloads, including a sample from the book when you do so. But I, I hope that inspires you to, to read the whole book. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening in today on the What's Next podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Bova. Don't forget to subscribe and also leave a review. So thank you, everybody. Have a great rest of your day.